0: And just do it and that's it and because there is no this is the whole ballgame right now with my son and homework there is no you can't go over it you can't go under it you can't go around it you can only go through it there's 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 nothing but execution here like like you you can put your homework away and, and not do it and you will fail or you can fake it and you will fail or you can you can kind of do this half-heartedly and you will fail. And that's it, the one thing there is. The only thing there is, is execution. Hey everybody, welcome
1: back to the Reclamation Podcast. Second week in January, and I'm excited to bring you today's episode with author, pastor, storyteller, Justin McRoberts. Justin is an incredible guy, and I think that you're going to love the conversation that we have. He talks all about execution, uh, how to move in prayer, how to set up environment, how to be mindful, how to do all of those things when it comes to your faith. So if you've ever been the kind of person that uh, can get a little stuck, Justin gives us some very practical advice on how to get over that. He also shares his journey and writing his new book, May It Be So, 40 Days with the Lord's Prayer. It's uh, an incredible conversation. He's a deep thinker. Uh, He is actually talking to me from the West Coast through our whole conversation. It's super early in the morning for him. And for him to put together so many incredible thoughts so early was profound unto itself. So, uh, in just a moment, we're going to begin that conversation. But I wanted to remind you about the contest we're having. For every person that's on the email list uh, before or currently or signs up before the end of January, we're giving away a copy of one of the books uh, of the authors that are on the podcast. So, Justin's book is definitely in that mix. So, is uh, Brian Tomes and Charles Causey and some incredible authors. Who are sharing their gifts. Josh Gagnon's book, which will be out, uh, that conversation is coming out in February along with his book. So super excited about all of that. Be sure to sign up at twmilt.com. Follow us on uh, Facebook Reclamation Podcast with Tony Miltenberger, or as always on Instagram at TWMilt. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Justin McRoberts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I am here today with my special guest, Justin McRoberts. Justin, how are you, sir? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being on the show. Justin is a storyteller. He's a writer, author, pastor. Um, I, I was you know, doing a little research on you, and one of the things that I kept coming across again and again is the sentence that uh, that you create to provide language for faith and life. Yeah. yeah. I would love to start there. How did you come to that kind of uh, it seems like a mission statement. I don't know if that's too much to say.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's too much to say. I I think, um, I've got like a long history of trying different stuff out to facilitate other people's faith journeys as well as my own. And whether it was, songwriting and um and storytelling as a as a traveling singer songwriter for a number of years or um teaching from up front on Sundays or sitting with folks at, at cafes and bars almost all the time or even now like you know coaching artists and and ministers over Skype and I like I find myself in these positions where I'm listening to what is going on in the world around me. Um or in the world right in front of me with an individual. And then mostly feeding that back to someone and saying, hey, let me tell you what I'm hearing and tell you what I'm seeing. It's like this witness bearing. And and so much of the time, that ends up being like the kind of the end of the job because in what I've just said, from what I've paid attention to, someone says, oh, that's the word. That's it. This is what I needed. I needed to Mm. hear that. And so, you know, less than me, providing solutions or pathways or uh, I I have generally provided language by which people could understand the life they're already living uh, to see God in their in their in their world in ways that they you know they were seeing but didn't know how to describe that's a lot of what I do
1: now do, do you think because I, I think that's a really interesting gift to the world and I I wonder do you think that that is a a learned skill for you or do you find it that that has been a product of of your journey
0: um that's a great question I I want to I want to say that predominantly it's a learned skill because Mm. it's because it's mostly about attention paying um when I've been bad at at it it's because I have um i've come into a project or a relationship um with predetermined conclusions with uh, i haven't listened first mm. i've done well in anything i've done i've paid attention i've given myself over to like quieting my own head my own heart to say okay you don't know everything that's going on here uh, let's look let's let's bear witness first let's see what god's doing let's see what this person is wanting and then once you've seen that clearly and honored that person and the activity you've gotten in, in and around and through them I think maybe then we'll have something to say about that uh, and i think that's a learned skill i think that's something that 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 for the most part not only can we what should we learn to do is to i, I go back to that um I believe it's Acts chapter eight and Philip is sent south. And the Lord says, uh, the Lord says to Philip, says go south. He doesn't tell him how far or how fast hmm. he just says, go south and tells him, you know, by the wilderness road. So that's it just to take this road and go south. And he comes across the Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot, you know, like you do. Yeah. yeah. It's him every Tuesday. And, uh, <laughs> And then the last thing he hears from the spirit of the Lord is is the spirit of the Lord says, go to that chariot and stay near it. And that's the last thing he hears from from the Lord. And he, and what ends up happening is Philip stands near that chariot long enough to hear the, the eunuch in the chariot, this person from Ethiopia who's culturally completely divorced, almost completely divorced from Philip is in the chariot reading from one of the prophets which is to say that Philip's job was to go there and stand there long enough to pay attention to hear what God is already doing, see what God is already doing, and only then did Philip like take a next step, which was to start asking questions. I go back to that model, and I th- and I think part of what part of why we have that story in Acts is at the very least not just to pay attention to the fact that God is already at you know up to something anywhere we go, but that our primary responsibility is to pay attention to what God is doing and then to act according to that. So I think it's a learned skill and not just like, well, they're a good listener or she's a good listener. Yeah, she learned to do that. Well,
1: and you could certainly make the argument looking at the culture that we live in that listening has become a skill that hasn't been taught very well or very often. It seems like, I mean, I, I'm on Twitter just like everybody else is, and it's it's there's a, there's a lot more shouting than there is listening most yeah. days on yep. social media. So, I, I mean, it makes me wonder: how did you get to a place where you learned that skill? Did did someone, you know, disciple you in that,
0: or did was it uh, parents or teachers or yeah, you know, I um I've been surrounded by some pretty remarkable people. Most of it is, is a is a product of discipleship in that way that it's a thing that I've I've seen in folks. I, like in other words, I, um I mean, even from the very 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 beginning of my particular faith journey, like my conscious faith journey, I had a young life leader walk into my life when I was 12. Oh wow. And, and hang out around my junior high school campus and most of what this guy did was listen and have, he would ask questions and then listen. And then I, I like, I remember conversations about Jesus. I remember conversations about, about God's activity in the world, about the Bible, but they were never, they were never like, Hey, there's the story I want to tell you. What do you think about it? there were always things like, Oh, so you're doing theater. Tell me what the play you're in. Oh, it's about, <laughs> it's <laughs> about their war funny so i was reading this in the bible the other day about war etc and it was always like in the context of my own life but his his primary thing his 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 primary mode as a young life leader like this is what good young life leaders do is he would pay attention to my life meet me in my space know enough about what was going on with me that when he did have something to say it was in the context of the life i was already living so like that's how it started for me and i was and i've continued to be surrounded by people who are more like that i'm not naturally that way i mean, you can pick it up already like i i like to talk that's i've got a career talking um <laughs> so, so learning from people like dave my wife uh learning from mentors uh over the course of many many years and spiritual directors and counselors like the people in my life who have served me best are people who have listened to me and i wanted to be like them that's beautiful i think that's so beautiful
1: now y- uh, you said, kind of at twelve is when you first had your experience with your conscious thought of faith. Did did you grow up in a house that was uh, church oriented, and this was more of a, a shift to a personal relationship with Christ, or was it uh, a brand new exposure to the whole journey?
0: My mother had grown up um, with some practice of faith around her, and then somewhere along the lines um, in her adulthood and specifically in relationship to my dad, it was put on the back burner. My dad was not a person who was interested in, in the practice of faith. He was the kind of person who, um, without making it too cliche, he really honestly felt like religion was for like other people, for needy people, for, you know, he wasn't like a hyper intellectual, um, Uh, kind of look down your nose at people who have faith but he really but it was like that's that's for people who have extra time on their hands i'm too busy for religion i'm i'm working i'm trying to hold my life together i he was more that kind of person and so it wasn't a regular practice when i started going to young life club and listening to my to my young life leader um yeah like religion it it's in the air i'm a a white male in america like you know protestant christianity is sort of like it's the like it's in the water right so the thing it, I knew about it I knew some of the sayings I could have probably recited the Lord's Prayer before I ever said it but the notion that it was for me it wasn't even necessarily like personal like me and Jesus but the, the idea the idea that religion was for me that the practice of faith was for me was the thing that Dave started to introduce to me as a young life leader
1: it's incredible and it it actually drips uh, this idea of God being for you. It drips all over your writing. I I was so impressed. And even just looking back at some of your blogs, there was a a blog post where you wrote about uh, the leather cuffs that you put on most mornings. It says born of a broken man, but not a broken man. Yeah. And I just have to tell you, as a reader, that was so beautiful to see. Hmm. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Um, and and, you know, I, I, I appreciated the way that you put together may it be so I I would be really interested to hear how this idea of a book on the Lord's prayer that is so infused with imagery. How does that, did, did you say, Hey, I want to write a book, a devotional, and I want it to be imagery heavy or how did you get to that place?
0: Um, The specifically working with Scott Erickson to, to put the images uh alongside the prayers um i had stumbled across his work and i was like i don't know half consciously looking for something i I was in the like i was in the um at some point i was I, i i became i guess really intentional about it but in the same way that like i'm trying to provide language for the process of faith and life for folks you know what I'm trying to do is like there's, there are plenty of words. I think a lot of the words we use need redefinition. I think we need to use fewer, more intentional words, which oh, is amen. why the which is why the book is as minimal as it is. It's like well, I think <laughs> I think two sentences is probably enough for today. So let's hang out there. Is kind of the idea with with some of these prayers. Well, so what Scott was doing with imagery was sort of similar insofar as like w- there's no shortage of image there's no shortage of like there's a stream of imagery punching us in the face and the throat and up around the ears regularly all the time every day and what i saw scott doing um with imagery was really similar It was like well let's create some more iconic more specific more intentional um and thought-provoking imagery to ask you to stop and stay here for a little while instead of just you know, I don't want to just capture your attention. I want to create something that actually starts to dig around inside of your own, you know, heart and soul and mind. And I resonated with what he was up to because we were we were working at the same idea from two different mediums. Scott like to talk about it as if they're two different languages. Like there's this sort of image based language, and then there's the traditional language, uh, which is where I'm coming from. And so when Uh, I'll try to make this a little bit shorter but like so when I had resolved to actually make a book from this practice I'd been you know executing online um, I wanted to go a little bit further than just putting words on paper and Scott's work had already resonated with me with me in that direction and so I paired up with him and said hey would you be open to throwing images at these words and let's see what kind of spark flies.
1: I thought you guys married it beautifully and it led me to the question of the, the creative process. Cause I, I think a lot of people often struggle to express their faith in creativity. How, how did you mm. and Scott create space for the Holy spirit to work in the writing and the imagery and it still be connected? Cause I, I could feel like it would be so easy to be disconnected.
0: Yeah. Um, a lot of it's a matter of trust. Like the um, Especially the first time around, there was. Oh, that's probably not true. It's probably more so the second time. The first time around, um, what I knew, and this is probably a good spiritual uh, kind of discipline, uh, kind of mantra. There were there were ways and elements of the process that, like I, I could say with more confidence that the Holy Spirit had been and was active and then there was a lot of trust and guesswork so Mm. for for like um again sort of like (laughs) it's again going back to philip and the philip's story in 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 acts eight the lord just said go south and philip knew enough to start walking and like didn't know how far didn't know how fast didn't know how long he didn't know exactly what he was what he's looking for he just knows supposed to go he just knew he was supposed to go south so similarly, I'd, I'd spent like three or so years on Twitter and Facebook, specifically around Lent, posting these really short prayers and watching people, um, specifically people who had no faith background or little, very little faith background, people who divorced themselves from institutional Christianity, watching those folks resonate, retweet, like it, comment message me like it was landing with these folks so what i was trusting there was not that i had created a product that people really liked like a pepsi but more that like the inclination in me to write prayers with language that resonated with my own soul that this was something that the lord was was planning to and was executing was doing something with this that's the part i knew and I also knew that something similar was happening with Scott 's work because I was watching people resonate with what Scott was doing. And I was hearing him say similar things the The actual process of putting things together um, it, the I should only say it this way like we didn't want to get in the way of what God was already up to, and so we kept it mm-hmm. really, really simple so part of how I, part of how I keep when I'm, when I do it well, part of how I keep from veering from you know, the Lord's infused work in my life is I tend to overcomplicate it. I don't think I, I don't think I leave the path very often. I just take too much crap with me. Yeah. So, uh, It's like, I, I know the direction I'm headed. I, like I was hearing that before we just kept it really, really, really simple here. are These words there, we're going to do 40 of them. You're going to design it like, you know, a Lenten practice, just pair one image with each word and with each, you know, phrase and with with each prayer. And we're going to keep it that simple and just kind of run with a simple idea and see what happens. Along the lines, there were definitely, especially when we when we pitched the book to to publishers well, somewhere down the line, folks were like, well, what if you added this and some scripture references and some lead lines and some blah, blah, blah. And they and folks wanted to complicate it. And we were like, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying you're wrong about how to sell books. It's just not what we're trying to do. Like we're literally just trying to say, here's what we hear from God and we hope it really works for you. And that's it. Do
1: you keep any spiritual disciplines of of, uh, refining and simplifying your own life? Is this, is this a pattern that you try to take to other places?
0: Yeah. So um, my, like my morning patterns are pretty, are relatively regimented in terms of spiritual discipline where I'm up pretty early and I spend some time in silence ends and then now when you say when you say sometimes
1: like uh five minutes ten minutes an hour i i love to get into details of this because i think yeah sure it's so foreign to so many people
0: yeah so best case scenario uh my alarm goes off at 4 30 and i'm uh out of the room with a, a clothes in my arm uh, my wife doesn't wake up. Again, best case scenario. Best case scenario. Uh, best <laughs> case scenario. My wife doesn't wake up. My toddler doesn't. Or my two year old doesn't meet me in the hall, um, and I'm in my this little garage space, um, corner of the garage, and in, in a chair, um, at by about four forty five, and um, I like like this morning. I'll turn the heater on and turn a, one light on and light a candle. And I I just sit silently for fifteen minutes, Mm. and um, and then I'll normally uh, write. Like I'll normally uh, crack open the laptop and open either Evernote or Ulysses, or sometimes just a document. And if I'm if I've got something that's already in my head uh, that I've been working at, I go working on. I go to that, Um, and it's reflective writing. It's either you know I'm writing about what was you know, what I heard or felt or saw while I was being quiet, or there's that, you know, continued thought that's been lingering in my head for the last few weeks and to keep coming back to it. And I'll I'll write for another, you know, between 15 and 30 minutes. And then sometimes if that kind of peters out, like I'll run with that as long as I can, but if that kind of peters out, then I'll pick up a book of some kind. And it's either like I'm rereading through, um, the bibliotheca bibles. Mm. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if you remember that, but they did this really fascinating, um, iteration of, of the scriptures where they pulled out all the chapter titles and pulled out all the chapter uh, numbers and it, you just read them like letters. Um, and so I'm rereading through the Bible that way. So that's kind of, that's what it looks like. And that's usually like 60, 75, sometimes 90 minutes.
1: So, one of the questions I love to ask when people talk about their quiet time with God is, how do you hear from God, and then how do you confirm it's from God and not just the Good burrito, idea the burrito you ate last night or whatever yeah
0: I really pause like I stop short of saying that I know um very often, so so you live in the uncertainty, kind of. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I kind of so, um, have to. So I kind of have to. So I have, you know, I, I've been following Jesus. Jesus since, says since I was eighteen. I'm forty six uh, in a few days here. Um. So oh, there. Happy I, birthday! Yeah, it's getting there. Um, <laughs> I I, I want to say I am I am at least slightly more adept at, ha- at recognizing the voice of God now. Mm but if i'm a hundred percent honest like i i don't know if it's I, I don't know for sure uh i I develop my confidences as I act on it, so how do i know um if i execute and um uh it's really on the ex on the other side of executing things i've heard and once i've once i've inhabited that once i've actually uh, I don't want to use the word manifest here. I want to use the word incarnated. Like once I've actually like let like a word or, or an instruction or a kind of a, like a, again, like a guiding nudge like take f- like actionable form in my life. Yeah. I, ha- I tend to have a little bit more of a confidence of like, yes, that was the Lord. And Do you, and you I, have
1: an example, like for maybe from recently or in the last couple of years that you're like, I wasn't sure. And then I, I acted. And then it, it was clearly a, a sign
0: yeah so probably um probably about 8 months ago um I, st- I in my quiet times um and just relatively often throughout the course of my days had the faces and names of people who had um either wounded me or felt wounded by me over the course of like my 20 plus years in, in church ministry, hmm. like kind of pop up, not really pop up, just like be around like they were was more present or like I, you know, I'd, I'd see the email from this person from, you know, three years ago. And I don't know why, but you know, but it came back up or, you know, their names on Facebook all of a sudden. And, uh, And some of that, like I said, like, is that the Lord? Like, I I don't know. Like, like sometimes that happens where it's like, like either you get the Honda or your neighbor gets a Honda and all of a sudden you're like, everyone has that same Honda. I didn't notice that until. Um, So what was that? And so what I started doing is I started following that thread and and started making contact with folks and we're like, Hey, Jim, you know, hope you're well, love to touch base. And there was a specific list of folks I've had, I had a little bit like more of an emotional kind of resonance with, like I was thinking about them. And, and they're generally people where there was like, there was some stuff to probably, not probably, there was some stuff to talk about, yeah. either stuff they felt like I had done or, and I had left it because I hadn't or whatever. There was like unresolved garbage. And I started going to these folks. And as I did, there was favor and there was reception and there mm. was some hard conversations and and tears and uh but there was like clearly 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 there was actually movement relational spiritual movement breakthrough all all the stuff and that's when i was like okay well then that was the lord like then that that was the lord's nudge and there was some pushing and prodding if i would have left it in my head i'd still probably be like i don't know like it could have been god but i'm more confident now that it was because i acted on it i and i think I think that's pretty decent theology <laughs> It's just say, like, unless you, you know, you think about Jesus heals folks and, and, and he'll say, uh, take up your mat and walk or extend your hand or sure. go wash in the pool of Siloam. And there's always this actionable moment. And you wonder, I honestly do. You wonder how many folks, how many moments there was of healing that maybe didn't get recorded in which Jesus performs this act of healing, this miraculous act of healing. And the person he's healed continues to lie there on their mat. It does not get up. It does not take their mat. It does not walk. One, like what, what happens to that healing? Like does that –
1: Right, like, does that just go
0: away? <laughs> does, right, does that take root in your life or not? And two, even if it does, what difference does it make for you if you don't act on it? Um. So my take is now like was it the Lord, was it not? Like I, I think I figured that out by acting on the things I think are – the Lord and having the faith that I'm being spoken to, but also having the faith that faith that like, if I miss something, there's grace for that. And I'll only find that out by moving. Yeah. So, so
1: what would you tell the person who might be listening that uh, has never moved with God before like this? And they're, yeah. they're, they're praying through and they're thinking about that kind of first step of execution and faith. How would you tell them to move
0: into that space for the first time in their life? Uh, Keep it really simple. Pick one thing. Um, Just go to the one, go to one thing. And it's usually like the clearest, most outstanding, like pervasive, just bugging you, thorn in your flesh, just like thing in your head. Go to that and and move in the direction you feel like the Lord's probably, maybe, possibly, potentially pushing you. Just do it. And that's it. And because there is no, I'm, this is the whole ballgame right now with my son and homework. There is no, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't go around it. You can only go through it. There's, right. there's, there's nothing but execution here. Like, like you, you can put your homework away and and not do it, and you will fail. Or you can fake it, and you will fail. Or you can. You can kind of do this half-heartedly and you will fail. And that's it. The one thing there is, the only thing there is, is execution. So like there isn't a magic trick here. There isn't like a spiritual spark. There isn't like some sort of like, well, if you light three candles on the third Tuesday uh, (laughs) and, you know, dip, you know, whatever in in, in water and and, like, no, 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 go to what's the thing that's been bugging you for the last 18 months. You can't shake this stupid thought and it's uh, go there and move in the direction that you think the Lord probably might be looking into the possibility of suggesting that you might want to do just, and then execute. And that's it. Uh, and the, that's the bit of advice I have. Like that's all there that because that's almost always like all there is. And if there's clarity, it'll either be, you didn't hear the right thing. um, And, and then there'll be grace for that or (laughs) like the needle will move and there'll be that moment of connection. um, And you'll, you'll stare at it and think, Oh gosh. All right. Yeah. The Lord was actually speaking here, but like, there is no other way there you have to execute. Yeah. And sometimes when you execute
1: and there's nothing there that ends up moving the needle as well. <laughs> but, yeah, because there's uh, yeah. A, there's a gift in actually realizing that that's not what God wants you to do. A hundred percent. I, I think people miss that because that they, they don't execute, and and that's kind of the one of the interesting things about the way I think you wrote this uh devotional is this uh centered around forty days, and and people often say, well, I don't get a lot out of devotionals, and I'm like, well, are you are you actually doing the devotional? You know, because yeah. if you yeah. if you execute, if you spend time with God for 40 days uh, something is going to change. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, uh, have you always been a a 40 day kind of guy? Is this a liturgical church kind of upbringing with Lent or where did you come to that thought process? And then, and then the kind of the bigger question, why the Lord's prayer?
0: So the first part um, I was not raised around liturgy. Uh, We were, we were very, very casual in our style uh, but we were relatively liturgical in our practice as a mm. church. Um, so um, our services were, were, you know, very like show up as you are, but pretty formal in our execution. Um, and Lent was was this really wonderful season of a, like, kind of bound together – practice where we were you know we agreed among us ab- about a particular spiritual practice that we were going to be in for 40 days and ways that we were going to relate to the world around us together in the same way for 40 days and then this 40 day span of time wherein during which you know folks just tend to uh act religiously for 40 days i'm going to quit chocolate i'm going to stop arguing online i'm gonna whatever like whatever the thing is for 40 days and it was an opportunity to have you know what i want to call spiritual conversations with people about their lives because folks are just open to it for these 40 days so um you know there's uh, the smarter more biblically invested folks than i am could tell you like all the ways and you know little magic bits about the number 40 and you know Christ in the desert and the four hundred years and the forty this and the forty that, and why that all matters. I don't know exactly how that all fits together, but it there is something to that time period that goes like a little bit beyond a month uh, that it gives it provides space if you if you commit to a forty day practice yeah it, that that provides space one to get through the first phase of things in which you're not sure and you're uncomfortable. Two, to to the place where you're actually, like, you develop some competency in your practice and it becomes a little bit more of a natural rhythm. Three, to pay attention to what's actually happening in you as you do it. And then four, to actually have conversations and learn learn the language around the practice so that you can talk about your you know your experience there it provides enough space for all of those things as opposed to like the one week thing or you know your own personal 15 minutes thing that like it's not those things are fine they just don't have the broad they don't have the like the long look inside your own soul but they also don't have the, the sort of the broad cultural experience of spiritual practice that like a 40 day in it together practice does like lent mm. so when we when we came to when it when it came time to design the book I wanted to do it around, you know, what does Lent look like? And you can pick up any 40 days at any point, but uh, it was designed around, you know, around Lent. And then if we're going to be in a conversation, that was the first book. And then if we're going to be in a conversation about prayer in a Christian context, you know, Jesus said only a few things about the practice of prayer. Right. Uh, And uh, one of the things he said was when these adult men who'd been around religious stuff their entire lives, like stopped and said, okay, we don't, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we have, <laughs> we have, Like we don't, can you teach us to pray? Uh, then he hands them this wonderful gift and this wonderful tool that we now call the Lord's prayer called our father. So I wanted, if I was going to do it, you know, if we're going to be in this conversation about prayer, what has Jesus had to say? What has Jesus offered? And so we designed the second book around kind of the seven movements I see, I see, and I experience when I read the Lord's prayer, Um, and dig into like, what is this gift that Jesus gave do in me and do in you? That's, that's so, um, it feels
1: so good, right? Like it it just feels good to think about Jesus teaching us how to pray. How how has, how has writing this changed your prayer life?
0: Um, it's galvanized some things in me, um, it drew out and, and, and solidified some memories uh, that I know I've had. So part of what I'll do with the book is, again, there are, you know, there are 40 short prayers paired with 40 um, contemplative imageries, uh, images. Um, and the images and the, the longer form reflections are um, me pausing at particular moments in the Lord's prayer and reflecting on what those words have done or do in me historically and most of them have to do with stories so you know just to open the prayer with you know with the words our father that i stopped at the word our and i and there's a reflection in the book about the first time i went to see a therapist and walked into the waiting room um and i had my tail between my legs and the whole like i'm this one more broken person who's got to go see therapist and and i walk in the room and i'm greeted by these like joyful wonderful fully human people and before i go in and see my therapist i sit in the waiting room with a bunch of other humans and what i realize is nothing i'm facing as a human is something that's so dramatically unique to me that it actually isolates me that if i am struggling if i'm suffering if i am in pain if i feel lost if i am if you know I get what part of what that means is I share in my humanity with a world full of people that the things that would normally isolate me, which are oftentimes the same things that take me to take me to prayer that, you know, there's these dark thoughts in my mind like I'm the only dad who I'm the only husband who or I'm the only pastor who or I'm the only artist who all these things like you're weak and frail and stupid and all this like those are things that actually like bind me together with a world full of other folks who are having that same dad moment, having that same parent moment, having that same marriage moment, having that same pastor moment, having that same artist moment. And that's what the word hour does. And so each each of these reflections is like it, it gave me an opportunity to dig into some of these root memories and things that the Lord's done in me uh, over the course of the you know, coming up on three decades I've been following him. That's so
1: interesting. If you think about uh, kind of the therapeutic nature of writing a book like this with so many of your own personal stories and reflections in there, H- how did the writing of this book change you?
0: Um, so in some ways, the, the shared practice – uh, of creating work always does a little. It always does a little bit of refining. Uh, you know, share like you know. I mean, sharing your work with other people can be really, really good. Can also be really, really hard. Sure. And so, just the the in, like the raw uh, creative process element of this. Like, th- there was some. This is the first book I've done with a team of people. Uh, and a, like a you know a major publisher, they they republished the first prayer book, you know, prayer forty days of practice. We sold a bunch of them independently, and then Waterbrook Multnomah picked it up, um, to to republish it, you know, with their big publishing arm and all that kind of stuff. This is a book that was like written with the specific intention of pairing up with this with this publisher, and um, I'm I'm not part of what I learned. Part of what I learned was like I'm not a, I'm not a great team player and uh-huh. it takes it's i'm a i'm an okay team player i'm a decent team player naturally but there are ways in which i needed to be yeah i needed to learn how to be part of a team uh, again uh, and yeah so the part of what exposed part of what this process exposed in me is like yeah I've, i'm so used to doing things on my own and not even not even selfishly like i want my way but more to the point like as an example there, there were moments when like I was 100% sure that a decision was being made that was not beneficial to the project. Hmm. But because I wasn't used to like team dynamics, I would, just, I would just get quiet and get and back all the way off. And then I would have to and then like weeks down the line. I was like, yeah, that was my thought. I didn't think it was going to work and I should have said something and I could have saved us a whole lot of time. And things like that. Like I realized I wasn't a great team player and I, I, need to, I needed to relearn how to actually execute important things with other people
1: that's uh, and what a gift that is at the end of a project like this not only do you get a beautiful piece of work but you get a little uh, aha moment about where you've been and and kind of where you are yeah so uh where where do you see yourself going next i mean you've now written a, a couple books on um devotionals and you have this kind of practice what uh, what does the future hold
0: for you? So, um, I'm excited to see what happens with uh, with Lent again this year. I've got some plans for uh, you know for this book and for this this um, teaching show presentation called May it be so that I've been doing for the last few years. Mm. Um, so I'll be on the road a bit uh, through the spring and into the summer with this presentation and this talk and churches specifically. And um, that's in front of me. I'm doing a whole lot of coaching and uh, uh, helping ministers and artists, a lot over Skype. And I I expect the next year to to see more of that develop. It's a newer thing that I've, uh, for me, that that I've, uh, it's not really newer in practice. It's newer in like, I don't know, like, I I actually make, yeah, yeah, like, I'm actually making space for it, and, and, you know, and it's Facebook official, I guess, like, oh, yeah, well, he he said it online, it must be a real thing now, so, it's gotta be true, it's gotta be true, because it's on the internet now, so, uh, (laughs) I, I've always spent time with folks, uh, who are in the same space as I am, but maybe a few years, you know, previous a few is behind not behind in a bad way but like they just haven't like i've gone through that seven times let me tell you what i know kind of thing um and now i've i've i've, I've intentionalized that i've created actual space for it that's probably going to be the the most uh, yeah that'll be the newest most you know the, um attention uh demanding thing in the next year is a lot of the coaching but I'm. i've written a couple other books since this one came out and We'll see what happens with that. I've got a musical project that I think will probably come out like March or April. When you've got a when bunch, you, when you coach uh, pastors and, and ministry
1: leaders, what, what do you think It's kind of a random question? What do you think the biggest area hurting pastoral pastors and pastoral leaders is in the church right now? What's the biggest thing that you're seeing out there? Just
0: kind of out of curiosity, exhaustion, yeah. um cats are just tired bro they're just tired it's hard it's a stupid hard job and um and sometimes that's because there's too much of it um sometimes not to be a huge jerk but like sometimes you just you're not the right person for the job you have All right. and some and someone needs to give you permission to like either put a bunch of it down and change the nature of the job or just get the hell out because it's going to break you and it's going to break your family um, it's a crazy, 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 crazy hard job. And specifically for senior pastors, it's it, uh, the culture around the senior pastorate is isolating and yeah. incredibly demanding and oftentimes dehumanizing and it draws out, (laughs) you'll so resonate with this, bro. It doesn't just draw out the worst in you, although sometimes it can do that. It really more so than anything else, like the title on your freaking door or on your card or like in your profile on any online platform that says pastor, it tends to draw out the worst in other people. (laughs) (laughs) You are so so right. (laughs) Oh, homie, I know. like And and like, (laughs) And there's, and there's a ministry in that in and of itself, but like, you don't know that you you don't know that going in, you don't know that like you, you slap that title on your name tag and there's going to be a world of stuff that comes at you through people. That's like, I never knew that about John. No one did bro. I had no one knew he was like that. (laughs) I think he might only be that way with you. (laughs) i was just laughing because I
1: feel like you might be reading my email right now. <laughs> no, bro. I mean
0: everyone's email, dog. It's like but that's what I'm saying. Like, like what's most pervasive is like there's there's this world of stuff that that we didn't know when we got in. Yeah. Um, that you don't you can't necessarily prepare people for. You can talk about it, but like you don't like you can only really again you can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You got to go through gotta this. Go through yeah. And once you're in it, then take some people with you, which is, I guess, the biggest thing. How should I say this? Um, so that's the emotional centerpiece, but the, the structural institutional centerpiece is, man, the, the pastorate, specifically senior pastorate, seems to be an area in which the notion of discipleship somehow gets thrown out the window so easily. Oh my gosh. Well, like the numbers of people I know, specifically men, it's actually very different with women I know who are, who are in the pastorate, specifically women in the senior pastorate because most of the women I know who are in the senior pastorate have mentors, have therapists, have spiritual directors. They've set themselves up well because they've been in a world that's been beating them up for the last half many years anyways. But like right. most of the men I know, they choose isolation they don't have folks discipling them. They're not in mentoring relationships with folks who are further down the line. They don't go to see therapists. They're just out and 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 it's excusable in some way, shape, or form. Oh, it's a, it's even worse
1: than excusable. It's applauded. Like I, like there there are pastors that I know who are friends of mine, and I'm like, dude, why? We have a band meeting, a Wesleyan band meeting, where we get together once a week and confess our sins. And I'm like, hey, why don't you come be a part of the band, and we could all just be together and like. And they're like, I don't have time. You don't have time
0: for that? This is what we do. Yeah, yeah it is. But it's not. And that's the trick, right? It's, again, like the world, the, the, the job institutionally, professionally has described itself mm-hmm. in a way that, like, that's not what you do. What you do as a pastor are these things over here. It's not about passing along. Oh, my gosh. Watch it. It's not about passing along the health and the wisdom from your own life and the lives of other human beings. <laughs> Which is like, yes, it is. That's yes. totally what it's supposed to be. Like, that's, that's, that's exactly the actual what job. what
1: Jesus did. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's not
0: actually about that. It's, a, it's, about, it's about cultural maintenance. It's yeah. about branding. It's about, like, a certain kind of storytelling. It's about a certain kind of sales. It's, it's a, you know, it, like, it's about filling needs. Uh, man, like, so, like, in a way, like, the thing you're supposed to do is the thing that the job keeps you from doing.
1: Yeah, I'm and, so busy being in ministry that I don't actually do any ministry. Yeah. So, I see that so much, yeah. And that le- and that leads to exhaustion. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, what I mean, what a what a gift that your coaching will be to somebody who takes advantage of that. And I'm I'm very thankful for your heart for pastors and for the local church and for people's prayer life and that's that's all incredible. I know that my listeners are going to want to um, stay connected to you. What's what's the best way
0: to to find you on the interwebs. Yeah. So, um, I spent a lot of time at Facebook some time at Twitter and, uh, Instagram, all that's just search my name, Justin McRoberts. The best, best place to find me is, uh, just JustinMcRoberts.com And from there you can find any of those places or jump to the, uh, the podcast, which is called at sea with Justin McRoberts. That's awesome. Now, one of the questions I always love to ask
1: people, the last question is, uh, if you could go back to, uh, 12-year-old Justin, and uh, you just came to Christ. You've got this young life leader who's speaking all this truth. What's one piece of advice that you would give yourself?
0: Take your time. Uh, don't rush. This is a long road, and it's not yours. Uh, and so take your time. Slow down. Move slowly enough to enjoy it. And at the point at which you're not enjoying it, ask yourself why. Mm. That's beautiful.
1: Justin, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Happy to be on, man. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this conversation with Justin McRoberts. Check out his book, Maybe So. And as always, don't forget, sign up for the email list, twmilt.com. Next week, episode with Brian Tome. You're going to love it. It's a quick hitter, about 30 minutes of straight fire from Pastor Brian. I can't wait to give it to you. And until then, I'll see you guys real soon.